Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 111 of UConn 360. That's the only podcast known to science that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. I am your co-host, your facilitator of sorts, Tom Breen. Joining me as always, my colleague, Julie Bartuka. Julie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. We are in our palatial lakeside studio today, and we have a very special guest. We do. Who we'll meet shortly. I'm very excited about this guest, and he's come a long way. I think this is definitely our first guest who has had to travel over water to get here. Yeah, I think so. I guess somebody could have swam across the retention pond, but I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Before we meet the guest, though, we have some good news because it's the start of a new academic year. It is today. As we're recording, you won't hear this for a little bit, but it is the first day of school here on campus. The students are back. I did still manage to get an okay parking spot. I was pretty happy about that. Me too. Same. Move-in took place this weekend. We welcomed 24,000 undergraduates to all of our campuses across the state. And the class of 2027 arrived to our campuses for the first time, which, God, that number makes me (laughs) feel very old. We have some good stats about this class. There's 5,800 of them across all campuses. 4,200 at Stores and 1,600 at Avery Point, Hartford, Stanford, and Waterbury. And they came from another record-setting pool of applicants. There were 48,800 applicants this year, which is just higher than ever, and it keeps on going up because UConn is hot. 30% of this year's first-year students are first-generation college students, which means the first in their family to go to college. 30% are from backgrounds that are underrepresented in higher education. 144 members of the class were either valedictorians or salutatorians of their senior classes. 618 earned a spot in the honors program for their academic achievements. 55% of these first-year students here at Stores are Connecticut residents, and they come from 156 of Connecticut's 169 towns. And for those that are not from the state, the first-year students hail from 43 states across the U.S. and 92 different countries. So we want to welcome each and every one of them here and, of course, our returning students as well. And we hope you have a great year. Yeah. Welcome, new Huskies. Welcome back, returning Huskies. 156 of the 160. Who are the 13 slacker towns? I'm going (laughs) to... I don't know. It's weird. We've had in the past, I think, from every single yes, town. I'm sure absolutely. we have across our entire student body. Oh, 100%. I'm sure we have every town represented, but yeah, yeah I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe some of those, those small little... There like, are some small towns. Like the small town that our guest is from. Hey, well, technically, not a kind of town. Not a town. I know. So we'll talk I about that. Well, that's a good segue, though. It was a great segue. <laughs> I'm taking your job as a great segue right. artist. It may seem hard to believe as we bask in the glow of a fifth national championship. Mm -hmm. But there was a time when the UConn men's basketball team was little more than an afterthought. The Huskies had joined the newly created Big East Conference in 1979, which coincidentally would be the last time they'd play in the NCAA tournament for more than a decade. Uh, They were a doormat in the best basketball conference in the country, but the fortunes started to change when they hired a new head coach in 1986. I wonder who that was. In just his second year at UConn, Jim Calhoun led the Huskies to a victory in the National Invitation Tournament. I always want to say National Invitational Tournament, but it's not. Me too. It's Invitation. Huh. That was their first ever national championship. Uh, but it would not be until the 1989-1990 season that they would capture the imagination of the entire state and announce UConn's arrival as a national contender. The dream season, as it's become known, saw the Huskies reach their first NCAA tournament since 1979, a run that was capped off by the unforgettable Sweet 16 victory over Clemson, one in the very last second. It would all end in tears the following round against Duke, but even though the Huskies would cut down the nets five times in the next 33 years, that season retains a special place in the hearts of UConn fans. Matt Edwards is one of those fans, but unlike most fans, he's not content to simply cherish his memories. (laughs) 
Since April of 2022, Matt has been producing the Dream Season podcast, an in-depth oral history of the 1989-90 season featuring interviews with players, coaches, journalists who relive that incredible time and offer their insights on what made it so special. It's a true labor of love and a fantastic resource, both for fans who lived those unforgettable moments and for hip young Zoomers like me <laughs> who only heard about it after the fact. <clears throat> we are genuinely thrilled to have Matt here with us at Lakeside, uh, not only because we're fans of the podcast, but because he's come a very long way to be here. So, Matt, thank you for being here, and welcome to UConn 360. Thanks for having me. You were a junior in high school mm -hmm. during the dream season. Had you always been a UConn fan? Yes. What's your UConn fan yes. story? So, uh, my father brought me up a UConn fan, so I remember right going way. to exactly going to games at the Civic Center in the early '80s, in the, the darker years. Yeah. Um, they weren't terrible, you know, but seeing him play Georgetown every year and getting destroyed. But you know, the Corny Thompson era, the Carl Hobbs. Yep. I fell in love with him then, and then obviously on the ride for the NIT, and then all the way to today. It's been amazing. Yeah, it was, it was kind of fun being able to see, you know, like Patrick Ewing play, but it was it was also a little brutal yeah. <laughs> those exactly. days. Yeah. So how did the idea for the podcast come about? So I was on a long walk in early 2021, and I had some podcasts queued up, and Chris Smith was a guest on one, and uh, Rod Sellers on another one. I think they're both a Connecticut scoreboard podcast, and just started thinking about it. And, you know, everybody, when they talk about the dream season, everybody refers to the shot mm -hmm. and the Clemson game. But I knew it was so much more than that. And it was right after the uh, last dance was on Netflix. And I think somebody needs to do a big, in-depth, detailed history on that season. And I said, well, nobody's going to do it. So here we go. And what was, what was it like getting started? I mean, had you done any podcasting before? Nothing. Never, ever, ever. Never thought I could do it. When I had the idea in my head, I reached out to a, a mutual friend of Rod Sellers who knew him, and he said he would love to talk to me. And then I reached out to Bob Usler, who was the radio play-by-play -play man his first year that season. I knew him from when I worked at the Connecticut Sun. And I reached out to him and would, asked him what he thought about the idea. He loved it and then helped put me in touch with Wayne Norman, and I was off and running. Wow. Did you hit any roadblocks along the way? Was there anything like with technical things or were there any? Not technically. The writing is just so yeah. difficult. So in hindsight, I wish I had done everything in advance and then just dripped and drabbed them out <laughs> instead of writing them as I yeah. go. And, you know, we can I... relate. Yeah. So, it, so there was a big gap when I started it to when I picked it back up this spring. And uh, But yeah, I wish I had done that differently. But other than that, it was not the, the technical hurdles I overcame and you know not being able to connect with as many people as I wanted to, just I had enough and just you know, buckled down and started writing and got it out there. Yeah. What has it been like to talk with some of those players and coaches and what kind of things have you learned about that dream it's season? Really cool. So I was uh, a camper at Jim Calhoun's, I think second basketball camp in wow. summer of 1987. Wow. And Jerry Besselink was my coach. And I remember Dave Lato being there and thinking he was the coolest guy ever and be able to talk to those guys again. So, you know, poor Jerry, I made him feel so old when I told him he was my coach <laughs> then. And, uh, but it was really neat just to talk to these guys, talking to Chris Smith and, Jim Calhoun, just obviously, it's great. But once you start talking to them, you get into it and get the answers you want and listen to their stories. It's it's been wonderful. It's been what wonderful. are some of your favorite stories that you've heard? <sighs> There's so many good ones. You know, the, the I I think the players have kept a lot of their stuff to themselves. But you know, story where Jim kicked the blackboard and got his foot stuck in it. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just the little things. I heard some stories about when they were up in Alaska for the Great Alaska Shootout and went to an adult. Entertainment complex oh, no. and ran into some other coaches. And yeah, it was some good stuff there. But yeah, wow, the, <laughs> real insider stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know it's interesting when you talk to Jim Calhoun. Like obviously he would go on to win three national championships, but that that season really does hold a special place for him. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people? It's the first time. Yeah. It's the first time. You know the NIT year was great too, but to do it on that stage and again even when the NIT 
it was wow, this is pretty cool. It was we all got wrapped up in it, but still, yeah. you know, the next year, the big high expectations. They still don't make the NCAA tournament, so you're like, okay, it's, this is how it's going to be yep. forever, which is great. It's still fun, but yep. yeah, yeah. As we're recording this, the most recent episode is about the shot, the famous full court inbounds pass to Tate George, and the last second win over Clemson. UConn fans who can remember the thrill of that game. Uh, also remember what came next, Christian Leitner and Duke. As you've been going through this, I mean, it was an emotional, a lot of emotional ups and downs at the time. What have you been experiencing going back over it? Same. Really? Chills when I listened to, when I was putting together the shot and I heard, you know, the WHUS call and I heard Bob Usler's call on Connecticut Radio, even Dick Stockton and uh, Hubie Brown's call, just chills. And yeah. then as I just, I'm just starting to get into the, the Duke breakdown and yeah. still it's like so depressing yeah. <laughs> oh, so depressing Such, i mean even the five championships help but it's still i know oh, yeah. it should have been us oh, it's yeah terrible. and though, i mean in, in fairness that was such a good duke team i mean they were really right. good but but still i just remember yeah. being crushed you know but now going back over it you're a fan but you're also i mean you're making a documentary you're making an audio documentary about this like what kind of decisions does that i mean you want to tell the whole story but you also want to tell it from a fan's perspective how do you make those choices uh, well i had the fan's perspective that's myself yeah. but so my initial plan was and i hopefully that's how it's worked out is after i've talked to everybody i wanted their words to dictate the flow of the story how it's going to go so i when i'm doing putting together an episode i go back to figure out you know what i look at all the transcripts from the interviews and figure out what are the good stuff that i'm going to use that and that that frames the episodes for me so i hope it's entertaining and educational and informative and but i'm letting the the people that were there drive everything so you're you're not an alum right uh, kind of, I went to Avery Point okay. for two years. Okay. All right. So you attended yep. UConn. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you're, but I was going to say, you're kind of embodying the fact that, you know, in Connecticut, even if you didn't go here, you don't have a connection here, UConn is super important yes. and UConn basketball is super important. Why do you think that is? And, um, you know, what, what makes UConn the Connecticut thing? It's, it's all we have. We used to have the Whalers. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's a Connecticut sun. There's other stuff there, but it's, you know, on the national stage and the, the bright lights. It's just what gravitates everybody to. It's been there. The success obviously helps, mm. but it was popular before that. I mean, the horde, the, how many beat writers were covering the team during those dark years of the 80s. It was still the story in town, even with the Whalers around. So yeah. once they started winning, it just, just snowballed. Do you have a favorite UConn moment of your time as a fan? Is there one thing that really sticks out? I was at the Virginia Commonwealth game in the NIT run, and being oh, wow. there that night was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, I that two games during the dream season, winning some win the Big East championship in 2004 in the Garden, but oh, wow. going to the Final Four this year was probably the highlight. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. amazing. Pretty awesome. Yeah, and I think there was not quite the same because as you said, 89-90 was the first, but. There had been a period where we were not in the tournament prior to, you know, the last couple of years. And so it really felt like this year was really special, brought back some of that almost, you know, like underdog, we have something to prove spirit that we really had in 89, 90. Without the drama. Yeah, without the drama. Blowouts. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. As a fan, after that first game, because it was close in the first half, and I thought, oh, no, like this is going to get, you know, our hearts broken again. But then, yeah, it was, we were kind of like the... The, the bullies in the, the tournament, which is <laughs> so odd. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because I mean, I remember in eighty nine ninety, I was in seventh grade, despite the fact that I'm a hip young Zoomer, and I remember Bob's, the you know, the clothing store Bob's. They sold these like white shirts that just said UConn on it, and they gave like an iron on thing every 
during the season, every game that UConn would win, there'd be a new one with the final score. And so over the course of the season, oh, like kids cool. would like accumulate all these like patches on their Bob's shirt. Oh, I mean, like that's it, so cute. it really was like a, a big, big deal yeah. in the state back then. Yeah, Mike Enright always says, you know, it was uh, an innocent time, more innocent time. There was no internet. It was just, yeah. it just grew and just kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And like you said, it's not just the shot. Like that whole season, not even just the tournament run, that whole season was so exciting. Everything, the dove, you know, the, yeah. the mystery man from Israel shows up and changes everything. And yep. the, the field house closes and Gamble opens, brand new building and mm. winning the Big East tournament, beating Syracuse and Georgetown the second time because the first time was pretty amazing. And then, you know, same week in yeah. early January, it's just really, really amazing. Yeah. And I had I had forgotten a lot, so going back and listening to your podcast, it's really fantastic. It really not only brings back memories, but tells me a lot of stuff I, I never knew. Excellent. Good to hear. But as I alluded to in the introduction, you came all the way here from Fisher's Island. Yes. What's it like to live on Fisher's Island? It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's, if you have to, it's, it takes a certain type of person to, to live there and enjoy it, yeah. especially in the off-season. It's quiet. It's isolated. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. Spend more time to write episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you help out uh, coaching basketball there. Do you ever you ever teach your players the the full court yeah. inbounds pass? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm more there for moral support. Yeah, yeah. I leave that to the, the head coach. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you and find the podcast? Well, the podcast is everywhere you get your podcast. So Spotify, iTunes, you know, Stitcher, all those good places. On X now at, <laughs> at Dream yeah. Season Pod, Instagram <sighs> at Dream Season Pod, and you can find me at DreamSeasonPod at gmail.com. And what I'm hoping for the exposure I'm getting from you wonderful people is when the episodes are done, there's going to be hopefully one or two episodes that are just fan audio memories. Mm. People that awesome. I would love for them to email me there, you know, record themselves, say where they're from and just talk about their memories from that season. That that's a great that idea. That's a really good idea. So, so send those to dreamseasonpod at gmail.com. Perfect. That awesome. Would be awesome. Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you, Tom and Julie. Really Thank you, Matt. It. This is great. It's Thank great you. Yeah. And uh, normally we let our guests escape after this point, <laughs> but we but, unshackle them. Yeah. But in this case, we're, we're going to take a trip to Tom's History Corner, and it's actually in response to something you asked on X, what the, the X app. You had come across an old uh, publication. I, I don't even know if there's like a language warning we have to I give. I was going to say, if, like, can we say if We're going to get the E rating on the podcast. It was a publication from the late 1960s called The Husky Handjob. It was not an official publication at the university. I wanna, you don't say. I want to hasten, but there is an interesting story behind it. There were only two issues of it. You can find them both online at University Archives. You can see the whole thing. It's all been scanned in. And they're actually produced by a faculty member. Oh. A sociology professor named Jack Roach. It's a very interesting guy. He was actually a veteran of the Battle of the Bulge. And he became... <laughs> Hold on. What year was this? So this was... Uh, he came here in 1965. Okay. And he became kind of radicalized in the 60s. And along with some other faculty members, they were sort mm. of very much involved in the anti-war stuff mm-hmm. happening at the time. And... In the fall of 1968, there were protests against Dow Chemical recruiting yes, people on yes, campus. we've talked about this. Because Dow made napalm, mm-hmm. and so people were, were upset about this. So students and faculty members came to disrupt the recruiting meeting. And they, they had been told, like, you know, you can protest, but you can't actually, like, do things to disrupt the meeting. You can't. Mm-hmm. And so they did. They were very disruptive. And eight of the students and four of the faculty members were facing disciplinary sanctions. Mm. Jack Roach was one of them, along with faculty members David Colfax, John Leggett, and Charles Brover. Colfax and Leggett were both fellow sociology faculty members, and Brover was an English professor. So now there became this huge agitation about the fate of these students and faculty members. Like, would the students be expelled? Would the faculty members be fired? Because only Jack Roach had tenure. The other three did not. And to those listening, if you, if you don't know, there, there are bigger risks if you're a faculty member without tenure mm-hmm. than with tenure. So that fall, 
there were escalating protests at board of trustees meetings. <laughs> this is back when the board of trustees would just like meet in a conference room, like a really small room, <laughs> but it was they were still open to the public. Yeah. So at one point, like the whole room is just full of protesters, and they're all whistling the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> board of trustees are just like, what are we doing here? So the escalating series of protests led to an occupation of Gully Hall by students, and Homer Babbage uh, called in the state police. He called it the saddest day of his life because there were no Ugandan police at the time. This was before we had a police force, so oh, it was wow. it was the, the, there were some security officers, but it was were like you know two or something like that. So they had to call in the state police. People got arrested. A lot of sort of ill will happening on campus. There were also like counter protests against the protesters, which were hmm. larger. So there were like 70 people inside Gully Hall and there were like 500 people outside Gully who were trying to get in. And faculty members had to keep everyone separate. It was very dramatic. There's actually a movie about it called Diary of a Student Revolution documentary Mm -hmm. that was made for PBS. Mm -hmm. And you can also watch that at the – On the archives? On the archives website, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So as part of this, in the spring of 1969, Jack Roach made the Husky Handjob as a way to – plead his case and also make some provocative well, yes. <laughs> criticisms of uh, the university. And some of his fellow faculty members, Evan Hill, who was the head of the mm. journalism department at the time, he wrote a really big article about this for the New York Times Magazine, which I'll, I'll link to. It's a really, really good article. It really gives a flavor of what UConn was like at the time. Oh, I'd love to read that. And he was, he was not particularly kind <laughs> to the four radical faculty members, and they were, they were not happy about that. So there's a lot of – but, I mean, it kind of gives a flavor for the times. I mean, there's a lot of tension, yeah. in, you know faculty members, students. I mean, there was, it was a very different time yeah. in the country, not just at UConn. So eventually, things kind of blew over. Jack Roach had tenure, so, I mean, that was it. He was, remained a uh, faculty member and retired in 1987. Wow. People remember him very fondly. Stuck it out. Stuck it out. The others, however, John Leggett was not reappointed. He went on to be a sociology professor at Rutgers okay. and retired in 2017, I think. Wow. Yeah, he was younger. And David Colfax also was not reappointed. He went on to Washington University in St. Louis was also not reappointed after getting involved in protests there. Oh, boy. And later went on to become an early pioneer in the homeschooling movement and moved to California where he became a county supervisor in Northern California. And then Charles Brover left. He was not reappointed, and he became kind of like a full-time revolutionary guy, and he was like a sort of editor of a Trotskyist publication. And They stuck to their convictions. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you can get some flavor of the time from the Husky Handjob. And reading Evan Hill's article, it helps fill in some of the blanks because – he kind of criticizes people not by name in it. And so you're like, oh, I, I kind of know who that is now that I've read the, the Evan Hill thing. Oh, I um, can't wait to read that. That's cool. Yeah. So that's much the st- more interesting than I expected from the, the silly name you, that we were making. You know, the, a little bit. it's funny. They Part of me thinks like, you know, you could have picked a different name and maybe it would have been taken more seriously. But, but also, also like attention grabbing. And it was probably a little bit like of an F you to the. Yeah. I mean, here we are 55 years later, and we're still, you know, yeah, we're, we're talking about it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Mission accomplished. So, no, but thank you for asking that question, because I love finding out stuff like that. And, and that was such a, an interesting time in, in UConn history to kind of revisit. I need to find that documentary. It's really good. I actually, yeah. they screened it here at the Benton Art Museum a few years ago. And some of the students who were protesters were there. Oh, and some wow. of the, the, there were now retired faculty members yeah. who were in the documentary were all there. And afterwards, they kind of talked about their experiences and sort of how their opinions have changed and what they would have done differently. And it was a really, really good night. That's awesome. I know yeah. it was a crazy – that's when my aunt and uncle, Peggy and Barry, who we've talked about yep. many times, were here. And they said it was a pretty tense, you know, interesting time on campus. Yeah. So the protesters made a lot of, like, tactical errors. <laughs> like, they declared a student strike right before the Christmas holiday. People are, like, just taking finals. And they're like, no, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, you're, if you're a student especially, like, you're just learning about these things. You don't yeah. really know how this all works.
works. That, yeah. So interesting to really take a stand like that and see how it plays out, I guess. Yeah, very much. Cool. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. All right. So <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Once again, if you want to uh, listen to the Dream Season podcast, which you absolutely should, it's everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have memories to share, it's dreamseasonpod at gmail.com. That's correct. And as for us, if you, if you, if you want to follow us on x.com. Yeah. Increasingly uh, off of that. I'm at right. TJ Breen. I'm at Julie Bartuka. And we're at UConn Podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be back shortly, reasonably <laughs> shortly. We're not as regular uh, as we used to be. But we'll be back uh, soon. And uh, thanks, everyone. Oh, oh, before we go. You're very loud today. I know. <laughs> know well, I'm excited. I don't know if it's your mic or I'm what. excited. <laughs> it keeps like blowing out. In my ears. I'm not going to ask for predictions because I, it's always, but are you excited for the coming basketball season for Absolutely. men and women? Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, no predictions, but yeah, I expect uh, success to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Julie, any predictions? <laughs> we, need, we need a final prediction. Go Win, team. Wins and losses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's going to be a great season. I'm Same. excited. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.